Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. So the Power Ranking Show is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for football, basketball, baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and the easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And that, of course, is the voice of at Marcus underscore Mosher. And uh, we've been off for a while. A couple things might have happened in the football world. While we were off, <clears throat> Marcus has been, uh, well, first you were on uh, what the pup list. Yeah, big time pup the, list. I was, yeah, the, I, I was worried I wasn't going to be eligible to return. <laughs> and then, then you had limited snaps. Yes. Uh, for a while. So he's been on a pitch count. So uh, with his uh, voice and working and not being in bed. And uh, and so here we are uh, doing a podcast, of course, uh, a few days away now from the uh, championship games. And uh, there's been a lot of football news that have happened, uh, some kind of related to the championship game and then some to the coaching hires. And, uh, you know, the big one today, uh, Dan Quinn to the Washington Commanders. So I guess the, the first thing is let's start there because there's a lot to talk about with Dan Quinn, but but I, I think we should really start with the commanders and where they are as a team. Is this the fourth best team in the NFC East? Uh, are they, do, is this a team that you think that this solves their issues? Because, I you know, you look at quarterback, you look at the way the season ended for Dan Quinn, and again, they might might be the fourth best team in the division. I think Washington really botched this. And the fact is that Dan Quinn wasn't their number one choice. He wasn't even the number two choice. They wanted Ben Johnson and they wanted Bobby Slowick, the Texans offensive coordinator to come in, be their head coach, pair him with a young quarterback who they're going to select at number two and basically have their version of D'Amico Ryans and uh, CJ Stroud or pair whatever young quarterback with a young court, uh, head coach. Didn't happen. Ben Johnson and, and Bobby Slug both decided to go back to their situations. Washington took forever to make a hiring, and they eventually landed on Dan Quinn, who they felt like was a pretty safe option. He's a culture builder. He's somebody who's been a head coach before. I don't, I don't love this for Washington at all. It, it, it. To me, this is just going to put them right back in the middle, which is the worst place to be in the NFL. Do you think? the Ben Johnson's decision to run the ball to David Montgomery in the goal to go situation when you really needed to save a timeout might've influenced this on any level. It's easy to say no, but you know, owners can be very reactive people. And if you can't explain that in your head, how is it not going to color your thought process when that person is asking for a lot of money? I would buy that if Dan Quinn didn't give up 41 points in round one of the playoffs at home to the Packers, right? Like, I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. I think Ben Johnson, there were some reports that he wanted to be paid like one of the top five coaches in the league, which mm-hmm. I get because he's been so, so good the last couple of years with Detroit. Um, 
I just think Washington really fumbled this one here. I think you need to pay that guy however much money he needs to get and then bring him in because ultimately the only thing that's going to matter in Washington is if they can develop this quarterback that they selected number two. If they can't, Dan Quinn's going to be looking for a job in three years and Washington's going to be right back to square one. I read asking for that much money to be paid like that as one of two things. Part of him really wanting to go back and give it another shot with Campbell and, and these players. But if they offer me an absolute boatload of money, that's so large that I can't turn it down, then I'll take it. In other words, setting your price kind of like you do with the Steelers. You're like, Look, I don't mind losing the money as long as the uh, when you bet on the Steelers to mm-hmm. to <laughs> to win. Um, I think that might have played a role here because <clears throat> do you, would you blame him for wanting to run it back with Campbell and this group? No, of players? no, because I think he's still going to be a really hot coordinator at this time next year, right? I, I just I look at Washington. I'm like, what are you doing? What if if it was a difference in two million dollars a year? You are a billion dollar business. Why not go out and get the absolute best coach that you can get? I understand. Uh, you mentioned Dan Quinn giving up so many points. Uh, and I understand that too. I mean, that's going to be fresh in your mind as well when you're interviewing somebody um, or it should have been right. Um, but I would like to say that I feel like since we've gotten a couple of weeks from that game, Boy, the criticism, particularly from Cowboy fans of Dan Quinn and a good riddance to him, seems a little bit of scapegoating to me. And I know you don't agree with me on this, but there are a lot of fans, maybe some that listen to this podcast, who are very defensive about certain players. And by putting all the blame on Dan Quinn, it takes the onus off of the guys that they like or the guy that they had the jersey of or whatever. And I'll tell you right now, I watched that game. The Cowboys defense was terrible. I think it was the biggest uh, flaw on the team for that game. No question in my mind. But they're not the only unit that played bad. And it's, you know, it's not Dan Quinn who's staring off into space uh, on the sideline. Like, you know, like what, what happened here? It's not Dan Quinn who threw two red zone interceptions in 2022 when his defense was great. It's not Dan Quinn in 2021 who fumbled in the fourth quarter, then slid five yards too long on a play, then complained bitterly when the referee did his job of putting the ball down. I mean, you know, the offense does deserve some blame here. And it seems they, they like do, it's going to Dan Quinn so much. couple things. They allow touchdowns in six of the first seven drives of the game. Now, if this was a one-time thing this season with Dan Quinn, I think you can excuse it. But you look at the Miami game where Miami averaged over three and a half points per drive, which is an absolutely insane amount. The Buffalo game, which Buffalo averaged over eight yards per carry, and they destroyed you on the ground all game. You mm-hmm. look at the San Francisco game early in the year where they gave up 45 points, or you go back to the Green Bay game in 2022 where you gave up 34 points in that game. It's just too often there was a style of offense that gave Dan Quinn fits and he never adjusted. And we, I mean, Ellie, we talk about this all the time. The Cowboys being a front runner team. I think a lot of that comes from their defense. They will blow out these bad offenses and they'll score points and they'll get a bunch of sacks, but how much can they really impact a game when they're going up against a good, a good offense? They really haven't done that at all over the last two years. And I think that's where the rub comes with Dan Quinn. I understand that. 
Um, and like I said, I, you know, I don't, <clears throat> I don't have any problem with him taking the Washington job from a Cowboys standpoint, you know, I mean, okay. You don't even have to fire the guy. Right. It just seems like, I mean, come on, you know, like if, if you throw pick sixes and you throw red zone interceptions, I mean, the 2022 game against the 49ers really comes to mind. Um, I mean, his defense was great in 2022 against Tampa Bay as well. The whole team played great in that playoff game. Uh, I just, it just, but at the same time though, we're going to do the playoff stuff. Go back to the 2021 playoffs where they allowed the 49ers to go touchdown, touchdown field goal on the first three drives of that game. They did, but then they closed the door in the second half. Right. The offense that let them down. But when you get down in that big of a hole to start a game, and this has been the problem with Dan Quinn's defenses during the Dallas era is that when they play good teams, they start off so slow and you put your offense in a big bind of, okay, we can't run our offense now because the defense is getting absolutely shredded. Again, I, I mean, find me a game that's important where the offense played great and the defense was awful. I mean, the the defense was awful against Green Bay. The offense was a D minus, <laughs> okay? Well, uh, I'll, I'll, 2022, I'll the, off, the defense was A plus. A plus. The offense was awful. Awful in the divisional round. In the wildcard round, the offense was great. 2021, defense got off to a really bad start. But then, they, like I said, I think the offense and defense were equally to blame in the 2021 loss, equally. So that's the whole Dan Quinn era right there, you know? So, again, I, I'm, I don't have any problem with people criticizing them. I don't. And I do think they were more the culprit against Green Bay, more the culprit. But it sure is easy for the head coach, isn't it? Just – Hey, yeah, it's, it's on the defense. You know, I'm good. We're all good. Well, he's in charge of the defense yeah. as well. He's the head coach. I, he, he didn't make the decision to fire Dan Quinn. He he left for a, a, a promotion. Like, that happens. I, I don't think Mike McCarthy was going to move on from Dan Quinn anyways. But something had to change. And I... Listen, I I think that's fair. Hold on. I'm going to just stop you right there. I think that's fair. I don't think Mike McCarthy probably would have fired him either. But I'm talking about Cowboy fans who have certain players that they love. And everyone's like, yeah, Dan Quinn, get Dan Quinn out of here. Also, there are contractual limitations about what you can do in terms of who you can get rid of and what makes sense. You know, and so it just seems like Dan Quinn's being scapegoated a little bit for what I look at as a organizational wide failure. On the defense, on the offense, on the owner, on the head coach, on the quarterback, all of them. Yes. I think one of the other things, and we got to move on to other stuff, but one of the things is what Dan Quinn prioritizes on defense just hasn't matched up to what you need to be successful in the playoffs. For example, he just doesn't care about linebackers. And when they do have linebackers, they're 205 pound safety converts. Yep. Rather than trying to draft guys in the mid round, he keeps telling me, no, 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 go get me that four, four, five defensive end that can rush the passer like a Sam Williams. I'll use him 12 to 13 times a game. That's more valuable than an every down linebacker that I can grab in round two. There is a, they did have some bad luck there. You got to give him the, the, the the team that, I mean, with, well, uh, I'll I'll give you another example. Come on with Vander Esch. And then they lost, uh, the, the linebacker from Texas that they drafted in the third round right away. I'll give you another example. Mozzie Smith, the, the Cowboys front office really liked Mozzie Smith because they thought he could come in and stop the run. Dan Quinn saw Mozzie Smith and said, hey, we need you to cut down to 300 pounds so you can rush the passer so you can stay on the field. 
what they ended up getting was a 300 pound defensive tackle who was not a very good pass rusher who lost all of his ability to stop the run because he didn't have that added strength. So you basically got nothing from your first round pick. So there was definitely a little bit of friction between the front office and the coaching staff on how to draft and how to use some of these players. Yeah. And I get it. I get that. I just, again, Dan Quinn's the one that's kind of taking it on the chin here. And I think it, there's, I think it's equal, uh, you know, I mean, that's also on the scouting department and the front office to say, what kind of defense do we play? This is the defensive coordinator that we want here. We're drafting somebody that doesn't fit into what he does uh, body type. So it's, it's tough, but I do think the whole team, including Quinn had some bad luck at linebacker with Banderesh sure, and, and the linebacker they drafted from Texas. Um, you know, hopefully, well, we don't know what's going to happen there, but uh, obviously we'll move on from that topic. I just wanted to defend Dan Quinn a little bit. People are talking about him like the guy is garbage. And, you know, he's had a pretty good NFL career so far with Seattle and Atlanta and Dallas. And there are a lot worse defenses in the league uh, than the Cowboys were this year. And I'll be honest, man. Uh, it's kind of nice to see the Cowboys get takeaways after years was, of was. them getting like, what year was it? They had like one interception the whole year. I remember people on Twitter calling Jeff Heath the goat because he got two interceptions in a season. <laughs> oh man. Okay. No, so, that part was nice. I will say that yeah. I'm going to miss it. So another thing I wanted to talk about, you wanted to talk about as well. Uh, I love talking about you like you're not here. Uh, another Dan that's really taking it on the chin. Uh, Marcus has been really hard on Dan Orlovsky. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm good kidding. with this one. Let's yeah. go. No, no. <laughs> uh, Dan Campbell's really been taking it on the chin for several days now. That hasn't seemed to cease too much. Some people have defended him about his decisions. And I know you wrote about this on um, an article on the 33rd team. So guys, check that out if you get a chance. Um, because I think Marcus is on to something here. And um, tap the brakes is basically what we're saying. But Go ahead. Give me kind of your premise on this uh, and the decisions that that he made. Yeah, he had four big decisions in this game. I think two of them were the right ones. One was at least understandable, and the fourth was a bad decision. The first one, really quickly, right before halftime, they're up 20, was it 21 to three at that Mm -hmm. point? Uh, From the three-yard line on fourth down, they decided to kick the field goal to go up 24 to three. I understand it. Going for the touchdown probably puts the nail in the coffin. But one of the reasons you don't go for it there is you don't get the added benefit of being able to pin your opponent deep in their territory if you don't convert. So I get it. I I think that was a good decision, but I can understand why people are blaming him for not being aggressive there. The two field goal attempts or lack of field goal attempts in the third quarter, the one was a 45-yard field goal on fourth and two. Jared Goff makes a great play. It hits Josh Reynolds in the hand. He drops it. That happens, right? I, I, I thought that was a good decision to, to, to go for it there. Fourth and three later on in the quarter uh, would have been a 47-yard field goal if they, if they decided to kick it. Uh, they go for it. They don't get it. Their kicker, Michael Badgley, uh, kicked one kick all season long from 40 to 49 yards. He missed it. Uh, if for the course of his career – He's 70% on kicks from 40 to 49 yards. And that's incredible to me because a 40-yard field goal should basically be automatic. And I I saw so many people the day after saying, oh, you take the points, you take the points, you take the points. I mean, it was slightly better than a coin flip that he was going to make that kick. Not to mention- You have to have points to take them. Right. (laughs) Right. You got to have the three on the board to take it, right? And and not to mention, he did not kick a, a, a ball 
on grass all season long. And we just saw San Francisco's kicker, Jake Moody, miss the same exact field goal in the first half. So I get it. The fourth decision was the worst. On third down, they run the ball with David Montgomery at the goal line at the end of the, the game. I don't love the call to run it. I hate the decision to call a timeout afterwards because it completely eliminated the chance of you getting the ball back, even if you scored. That was Dan Campbell's biggest mistake. And that's Ben Johnson. I mean, yes, Dan Campbell can overrule him when he hears the play call, but he trusts his offensive coordinator, uh, trusts his guys to do his job. Yes, but ultimately it's going to fall on Dan Campbell's shoulders, but that's the OC. Um I didn't have a terrible problem with them running it if they would have used Jared Goff on the sneak because the gaps were open right there by the center. And what is uh, Jared Goff's what? Six, five Marcus. Yeah. They're they're at the one man. I mean, you, how many times did we see Tom Brady sneak that ball in? And so the people are like, well, Jared Goff's not much of an athlete. Really? (laughs) Tom Brady is uh, Walter Payton out there. When that gap is open next to the center, um, you take it. And when you're six foot five, you really don't have to do much. Nope. Um, so if they were going to run it, the 49ers were never expecting Jared Goff to keep that ball. That's what I would have done. If you're not going to throw the ball, uh, not run it to, to David Montgomery, as much as I like Montgomery, uh, you just can't risk it in that, uh, scenario. Um, and by the way, guys, the reason why they had to do that is because <clears throat> they were trying to save all three of their timeouts so they could stop the Niners and get the ball back either way. So basically we're looking at two right on decisions, one that's highly debatable coin flip and one that technically wasn't even really his decision. It it just seems like, you know, uh, and he has taken it on the chin out there. Um, Not to mention, this is a guy that took chances on fourth down all year, not to mention Josh Reynolds. has got to catch that pass. I also want to mention that I, I saw a lot of people criticizing the analytics community on Monday and Tuesday saying, this is the problem with analytics. Analytics actually said that he should have went for it on the fourth down uh, at halftime. And it was a 50-50 toss-up call on the field goals. Like you could have went either way. There was no strong indication from the analytics that he should he Like should 52 to 48%. Exactly. That and actually, go, I saw yeah. the models were yeah. even closer than that. So oh, okay. I, I, get, I get why people don't like analytics. I get why people think it's, it's dumb. Uh, but I think this is just a bad example to try to – rationalize your hate towards analytics. Yeah. You know, I, I've told you before, I think analytics are really important. I think football is a little bit tougher sport uh, than some of the other sports to use it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have any value. Um, I will say that analytics is so colored the overall conversations that we have around football that now anytime somebody goes for it or doesn't go for it on the plus side of the 50 on fourth down, it's all we, it's like, everything instantly goes to analytics and there's so many other factors to uh, consider, you know, your right tackle's got a bad ankle. They can't move. And the pass rusher on that side's killing them every play. Yeah. You might get the first down throwing the ball and your quarterback also might get killed. So there's other things that coaches have to think about besides just converting that play in a vacuum, or um, you have to know where your team is at uh, both health wise and how the flow of the game is going. As you mentioned with the, um, the field goal, right? Moody yep. missed from that spot of the field. And my kicker hasn't made it on, on grass all year. They hadn't, he hasn't even attempted one. So the analytics of kicking the ball is not really applicable to the situation at hand. So it's uh, but sometimes analytics get scapegoated 
anytime right. it doesn't work, it's analytics fault. So I kind of see both sides. Right. Of and, and like when you're looking at the analytics to kick that ball, like as again, it was about a 50, 50 decision. They're looking at what is the average rate of an NFL kicker on a 47 yard field goal. And for the most part, it's, you know, you're looking at like 82 to 84% make Badgley has been way under that in his career. And I also just don't think Dan Campbell had a lot of confidence. This is somebody who has been released and signed and cut and waived 26 times over the last three years. It's not like he's been a rock solid kicker, let alone a Justin Tucker. So he decided to put the ball in his, the hands of his quarterback, Jared Goff, which I completely understand. I would rather just go out with my best players rather than on a foot of a kicker that I don't trust anyways. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's interesting. This, this is a franchise that had a lot of stability at kicker for years. Uh, And so this was not the situation uh, with this team, but, but uh, you know, overall, I think Dan Campbell did a good job. I thought Jared Goff played a really good game, man. The other drop by Josh Reynolds was so bad. Uh, you know, uh, he was just in what, his head. What, yeah, he was in his head. So uh, either way, uh, obviously, it, it's disappointing. <clears throat> Marcus likes to give me a hard time because I always say, look, man, the better team won. <laughs> so Marcus hit me with that right after the game, everybody. When I was sitting with a lifelong Lions fan, Marcus decides to come at me with the hammer. And you know well, what? You- I agreed. I agreed, didn't I? Because – you can't let a team like San Francisco hang around. No. They're too doggone good. You let them hang around, they're going to beat you. It's just frustrating because the Lions were the better team that that day, and they let it. Yeah, they let it. Uh, they let them off the hook. We let them off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, um, I want to spend just a couple minutes talking about Bill Belichick real quick. Um, there's been a lot of shock and surprise, and some criticism of Bill Belichick. Um, you know, the game has passed him by and look, these teams aren't even interested in him and whatever. I would like to address just something else about him real quick. Um, the idea about him still coaching and sometimes people want people to quit when they want him to quit. But what about when somebody, you know, Andrew Whitworth wanted to keep playing. Okay. And he won a Super Bowl, And so good for him. It doesn't work that way for everybody, you know? And with Bill Belichick, I think one thing that is misjudged and I don't hear talked about enough is the guy just loves football. Like he loves NFL history. And if someone loves it that much and they want to keep doing what they want to do, I'm not an ageist. I'm all for 80 something year olds in the workplace. I know he's in the seventies, but I'm talking about even older than that. I think people should work as long as they want to. And I salute him for trying. Um, I am a little biased on this. I was part of a panel with with Coach Belichick uh, at the Hall of Fame to pick players that have been passed over by history. And I saw how much in that room he cared about this. We had conference calls um, where we had to talk about players that played in the 30s. And Coach Belichick had watched film on these guys so that when we were on the conference call, he's talking about, you know, leverage and stuff from a dude that played on an offensive line in 1938, you know. You, you watched the 100 anniversary mm-hmm. programs, right, on NFL mm-hmm. Network. Was it not obvious when he was on the Bellustrated that he loved this, that oh, he yeah. loved talking about it? When Roger Staubach came out on the set for the, uh, the, the the top quarterbacks, by the way, guys, you can see all this on YouTube. Just type in NFL uh, 100. Uh, you can, He's a fanboy when Roger Staubach's out on the set uh, with him. And so I just wanted to say that uh, – of course, the flip side of this is I do understand why these teams didn't hire him or weren't interested. 
Yeah, there was only a couple teams that were even interested in Bill Belichick. Uh, Washington was one of them, and apparently he wasn't even on the short list of, of, of candidates for Washington. So I really wonder like, what's going to happen with Belichick now because we just saw a cycle of nine coaches get hired this year. We mm-hmm. already know that in next year's cycle, Ben Johnson's going to be looking for a job. Bobby Slowick is going to be looking for a job. Jared Johnson, Mike Rabel, Pete Carroll. Um, mm-hmm. How many o- openings are we going to have next year? And is, are those teams going to want Bill Belichick a year older? I honestly wonder like, if we will ever see Bill Belichick coach another game. Atlanta was the other one, right? Interviews with the Atlanta job. Uh, Arthur Blank wanted him. The rest of the front office is like, no way. They go out and hire uh, somebody else. I think there's a pretty good chance that we never see Belichick coach again. Well, I heard the uh, that New England was going to trade him to Atlanta, um, but they wanted David Putney in the deal. And <laughs> sorry, David Putney in there. Yeah, it's a bad draft day. Joe. Return is that. <laughs> hope y'all hope y'all saw that movie. Uh, do you? What did it surprise you a little bit? that Washington didn't even have him on a short list. I know you're not a big proponent. Like you weren't a proponent of the Cowboys hiring Bill Belichick, but to not even have him on your list is a little odd. No. My feeling is that the interviews have must've went so poorly for Belichick in Atlanta and Washington that it just completely scared all these teams away. And how does Bill Belichick interview poorly? It's not him like answering questions wrong. It's probably, Okay, hey, your offense was stale in New England the last four years without Tom Brady. Who are you going to bring in to fix it? And if the answer was Matt Patricia and Josh McDaniels, I don't know if that's making a front office feel all that much more comfortable that he's going to be able to go in there and turn things around. I do think a lot of times in society, people feel comfortable with people that are in their age group or a little bit older than they currently are. Um, we see a lot of the commentary on Twitter. You look at all the coaches that are popular on Twitter. (laughs) They're all, you know, these guys that are in their late thirties, very early forties. Um, it doesn't surprise me that Arthur blank would think Bill Belichick is great. You know, uh, I, I, obviously I'm not trying to paint with a broad sweeping brush here. I'm merely stating that sometimes I think some ageism creeps in here and I don't really like that personally at the same time. I get what you're saying, and it it really is hard to defend the record. I mean, ever since they kind of made that little playoff push with Mac Jones in 2021, it's been all downhill. It's been all downhill. And there's one more thing I want to mention before we leave. Um, Not only is the NFL going younger, they're going more offensive-minded. You know, obviously try to get coaches that can work with a quarterback because that means so much. We did see some more younger coaches this cycle on the defensive side of the ball, like with Mm -hmm. Antonio Pierce. Uh, with Mike McDonald, Raheem Morris, right? There is this new push to not overwork the players during the work, work week. We got this study from the NFLPA that came out this year about the average amount of hours that these teams work. And you looked at like a lot of the former Patriot coaches, including Bill Belichick. Those teams were working like 14, 15, 16 hours a day and losing. And then you have some of these coaches that are working like seven to eight hour days and keeping their players fresh and uh, keeping them motivated as the season goes on. I think that's the trend. And I don't want to say that younger people work less and because they, and they don't work as hard, but I do think there's this old, this trend for older coaches that want to try to outwork everybody. 
And I'm not sure that's always the best model in the NFL. Do you think the Panthers were working remotely? It's possible. <laughs> Walkthroughs on Zoom? <laughs> I mean, I, I do think COVID changed everything. I think yes, uh, I think it did make yeah. it where, okay, hey, we don't all have to be in the same room to have a meeting. Let's do it through a Zoom where we can do it in a half an hour and you can do it at home while you're relaxing, sitting, sure, on, sitting sure. on the couch. Sure. No, I, I, I get the point. And look, the game's changing. And the game is younger than it was. And it may be time. You know, it happens to everybody. I mean, it, it happened to Tom Landry. It happened to Chuck Noll. It happened to Don Shula. These are three of the greatest coaches that ever coached in the it game. happened to Dave Campo. <laughs> to Dave Campo. You know, Dave Campo had – how could he possibly know that Pete Hunter would be a multi-time first-team All-Pro? No, I know. Crazy. <laughs> Uh, I still think Jan Gailey though, should have been, should have been given more of a chance, uh, just why we're on that topic. But I, I think that's enough for today. Uh, so, uh, we are going to do a picks podcast on the Super Bowl, and, uh, we'll probably join you before then, but, but we wanted to, uh, just kind of circle back on a couple of things that have happened. And, uh, either way, if you're a Lions fan, look forward to next year. I think these guys will be back and hopefully the commanders will be back kind of hopefully. Maybe either way though, if, if you think the commanders and Cowboys are still rivals, you can listen to that rivalry on locked on Cowboys. Also, Marcus does a locked on dynasty doing that. What? Five days a week, right? Five days a week. Writing for the 33rd team. Seriously, go check out that article that he wrote about Dan Campbell laid it out pretty well there. You can always follow him at Marcus underscore Mosher on Twitter. And of course, don't forget his work for USA Today Raiders wire. Uh, we will talk to you guys a little bit later. Have a good weekend, everybody.